calls to find her killer um, and to ensure that she's not just remembered as a murder victim, but um, an incredible person. Well, the thing about it is that there are so many uh, cases recently that have been solved solely with DNA. Welcome to Second Read. I'm Laura Lane, and this is the first episode in our new series called The Murdered and the Missing. In these episodes, we will share insights about some of the most difficult kinds of stories we cover as journalists. These are stories rooted in people's lives, people who've been murdered, and those who have gone missing and remain missing. Today, we're revisiting the unsolved September 12th, 1977 murder of Anne Harmeyer. Anne was 20 years old. She was a student at Indiana University who lived in Cambridge City, about 100 miles um, from Bloomington. She had gone home for the weekend that Friday and was going to return to, to campus on Sunday but her mom convinced her to leave the next morning because it was late on Sunday night and she would be going in the dark. Her car was found abandoned along Indiana 37 north of Martinsville that Monday. I'm going to read a portion of a story that I wrote in 2007, I believe. Yes, it appeared in September 2007 in the Herald Times. My editor, Bob Salzberg, had come to me a few weeks before that and said he wanted me to write a story about an unsolved murder that had happened 30 years ago at that point. He had been a young reporter covering Anne's disappearance, and he knew that the 30th anniversary was nice. So I went into the newspaper morgue, which is where we keep old copies of, of the paper, and I looked back 30 years. and studied the stories about Anne's disappearance and, and started doing some research and talking to people. I pulled a file that I have right here um, from our old file cabinet before uh, digital files. We actually cut stories out and filed them in manila folders. And this is the Harmeyer, Anne Louise file that we keep at the Herald Times. So I'm going to read the beginning of a story. Um, the headline was Death in a Cornfield. If she had had a more dependable car, if she had left for Indiana University Sunday night instead of staying home in Cambridge City with her mom and departing the next morning, if she had let the mechanic in Waverly fix the Pontiac Le Mans thermostat, if she had been less conscientious and considered skipping her 10.30 class that day, if someone else had stopped to help her, if she had been able to run away, if things had been different, Anne Harmeyer might be alive today, a 50-year-old woman, possibly a counselor or actress or minister or mother. Instead, on this day 30 years ago, someone abducted her from her disabled car, which was parked along Indiana 37, three miles north of Martinsville. They drove the 20-year-old IU Jr. a few miles down a rural road and forced her into Lawrence Stafford's tall stand of corn. She most likely was raped, then strangled by a garret made from a shoestring from her Adidas tennis shoe and the hairbrush from her purse. 
Her killer left her there. Her jeans pulled down around her ankles and her red IU t-shirt bunched around her neck. For 37 days, family, friends, and police searched. Volunteers flying over the field in a helicopter could not see her through the stalks. Harmeyer's body wasn't discovered until autumn set in. You know, they theorized that when she disappeared, that when the farmers would start harvesting, she would probably be found. And then she was, said John Sigler, a childhood friend who came to IU the same year as Harmeyer. He had known her since kindergarten. He was a pallbearer at her funeral. So that's the beginning of a long story that I wrote, um, gosh, 12 years ago, pretty much to the day. So I'd like to introduce someone who knew Anne during middle school and high school in Cambridge City. Both of them graduated from Lincoln High School in 1975. Cindy Steele ended up living in Brown County where she still lives and works through the years. Anne has been on her mind a lot, and she's made attempts to try to help um, convince the police to continue investigating this case and to release records which are still um, being kept from the public and from Anne's family because police say the investigation continues. It's now 42 years after Anne's death, and the records remain sealed. One of the reasons this podcast and this story is relevant today is that Anne's cousin, a man named Scott Burnham, who lives in Chicago, read that story that I wrote back in 2002 and decided that he wanted to try to convey to the police the importance of solving this case so that his family can move on and know what really happened to Anne. Unfortunately, his request for records from the Indiana State Police have been denied twice. So Cindy, I wanted to um, ask you to just tell us about Anne. You knew her during junior high and high school, just what she was like a little bit, and um, then we'll talk no more about your attempts to, um, to find out what happened to her. Well, um, I knew Anne especially in junior high because we ate lunch together often but she was a pretty she was a special person Cambridge City is a small town and um, everybody knew everybody but she was the kindest person that, that I ever knew I think um, she always had a kind word to say about everybody I never heard her ever say anything negative about anybody which is amazing Especially um, for someone in junior high. Yeah, especially. In she was a high. singer and an actress. What, what was she? What kinds of things did she? Do? Oh, she was. Uh, her her mother, uh, Marjorie, was the music teacher in Cambridge City. Anne was really gifted. Um, I think she, um, she sang in in different choral groups, uh, and then she starred in the the high school play of South Pacific. So um, she she loved to uh, be in front of a crowd, and she was a really wonderful entertainer. She was a theater major at IU, She was right? a theater major at IU. Mm-hmm. Um, I also went to IU. Um, I think there were four of us all together that went to IU from Cambridge. 
we didn't really keep touch um, uh, after we we got to college. You went from a small town to a giant university. To a yeah, yeah a huge university. Um, but um, when she went missing, um, I, I, it really affected everybody that uh, that was from Cambridge. Um, and I, I mean, I, even though we hadn't been close for a long time, I just felt really connected to her and, um, her death really affected me. Um, so, um, when, um, when your article came out, someone told me about your first article and then um, I contacted you, and um, I discovered that uh, Jim Allison had written a, a manuscript about the details about her her murder. Uh, and um, I think I shared some of the things that that um, Anne had given me over the years, and little pictures of and uh, a happy birthday book and. She was the kind of person that just really took the time to say, I'm glad I'm your friend. And um, so you wrote about that. And um, you were all, you also wrote about a connection that they were trying to make to a, um, a serial killer, um, Gregory Bowman, mm-hmm. that they connected with some other murders through DNA. So my curiosity got the best of me, and I um, I got a copy of the manuscript that you had and read about it. And um, my family moved away from Cambridge, so I don't have real close ties with Cambridge except for the people I went to high school with. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but I felt compelled. Uh, to really dig in and just to see, you know, if there was any way to find out if there was anything active about the case, if anybody was doing anything about it. What steps did you take? Uh, well, through the manuscript, I knew that Bud Alcron, he was a, a state police. I, I don't know if he was in charge of the investigation. I think he might have been. He was a detective at the time. He's still around. He's still out there. I think he's retired now. Yeah. He, he was in the process of retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I emailed him, and I wasn't even sure I had the right email. But we connected, and um, he agreed to uh, to meet with me and um, with, and introduced me to a policeman that had, was taking on that responsibility for that case. And really all we did, we just, you know, shared some coffee and talked, and he didn't reveal any any information to me and said, you know, that the case is still open. He really couldn't share much. But he also left me with the impression that they had no doubt that it was Stephen Judy, Steve and Judy. That's that what committed they... the murder. Right. But he was supposed to have been incarcerated at the time, so that didn't make make sense. And Jim Allison dealt with those issues in the in the manuscript that he wrote. But the fact that Jim Allison took the time to um, to write this story about Anne and didn't even know Anne 
it just is a reflection of of how her murder affected so many different people. You know, people would remark to me about, you know, that they were in that area or that, you know, they, they went home that weekend or every, you know, it could have been me. How many times have our cars broken down on the highway? I mean, I know that's happened to me. Yeah, especially as a, you know, single woman and a young person traveling by themselves. I mean, I made that trip with a car that wasn't that great many times. So we all felt, I think it was, you know, we all were touched by that. And um, Jim Allison had a a daughter that was in a class of Anne's, and that was really his only connection to her. But, you know, his curiosity, he wrote that manuscript years, like a decade after he did. He told me it was it one of the first things he did when he retired from teaching at IU was that he wanted to to write that manuscript. So when I read that and I just started reading the details, I just couldn't believe that that they never had a suspect. They never arrested anybody connected to her murder. And and I didn't know that there was any family like Scott. I really didn't. You know, I didn't. I mean, I knew Anne and her mother, but I didn't know about any of her other relatives. Yeah, her father, as you know, had died when she was four years old. She was an only child. Um, Scott is a second cousin. and um, Their grandmothers, I think, were yeah, sisters. Yeah, their grandmothers were sisters. There's a picture right here of um, from Anne's funeral with um, the pallbearers carrying her casket and Scott, this is Scott right here in the picture where I know. And I, I shared that. I shared everything I shared with you with Scott. I met with him because he, he dug in and saw the other article that you had written. And, uh, when he rec- he recognized himself. So this is a picture that you had. Yeah. Wow. My, my grandmother had, cut out all these articles I didn't even know she had them and my mother had kept them and uh, she had you know a, a series of articles that the palladium item Richmond's newspaper ran wow uh, but when I showed that to him it was emotional I'm sure it just stopped him yeah he's he's very committed to finding out what happened once and for all um, as you know um and as I'm sort of going to talk about a little bit now, Scott has embarked on a social media campaign called Who Killed Anne? It's on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere. And he's um, posting, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Cindy, but he's posting um, comments as if Anne is speaking to Yeah, that was hard to you. Hard to read at first. I wondered about that. It's kind of a shocking thing to, to see. It is. It was it was hard, but I understand why he did it because it's more personal that way. It is. It's Anne saying things like, Come on, you know, um, um, how long is it gonna take to make an arrest? It's my birthday. My mom used to make me this cake, and then there would be a picture of her with the cake, and it brings people very close to her. And again, this is forty two years after she was murdered and there are so many social uh, media avenues and things to look at and and crimes that people are interested in and this brings Anne right right to you right to today 
Well, the thing about it is that the, there are so many uh, cases recently that have been solved solely with DNA. The Gregory Bowman was convicted for the murder of, um, I think her name was Velda Joy Rumfeld mm -hmm. in Missouri. Only by DNA they had uh, retrieved from her clothes that had been kept in evidence since 1977. It was months, you know, within the time frame of Anne's death. And that makes Scott and all of us wonder what are the police doing in, in regards to DNA in this case? And because the case remains under investigation, they won't speak about details. And it's frustrating for everyone. I think Scott um, will say um, that 42 years later, it's time to find another way and, and try something else in order to solve this crime. The family of the woman that was the girl that was murdered by Gregory Bowman were persistent and they had um, they had some retired detectives working with them that discovered you know made the connections to this Gregory Bowman and without their per persistence you know that wouldn't have been resolved. I think a lot of people are looking for something like that to happen here where the right. persistence and I Scott Burnham is not going to relent until he he has exhausted all avenues to try to find out what happened. He was 10 years old. Anne was older than he was. They they weren't close, but he he recognized in her the special things that you described, and he just can't rest or sit still until they get to the bottom of it. So no, and happens. I was really, I was just um, really pleased that that he was uh, connecting with the case and, and pursuing this. Um, I, th I think he used to be a newspaper reporter, which could, you know, contribute to his... Um, right. He knows where to look, he knows who to talk to, and he is dogged in his attempt. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. talking today with Scott Burnham. He's Ann Harmeyer's cousin. He lives in Chicago, and he is pursuing justice in this case to try to find out who killed Ann 42 years ago. There was a recent ruling from the state public access counselor in this case in which uh, Burnham was denied the records from the police and investigatory agencies from Ann's murder four decades ago. The ruling from the public access counselor upheld the state police decision as well that they would not release the investigatory records. So um, first, Scott, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how that decision has landed with you, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, why you have embarked on this campaign to, to get to the bottom of this case. Sure, sure, thanks for uh, having me on. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of times the role of the public access counselor is really to act as a more or less a, a mediator or an arbitrator to work out uh, an agreeable solution or compromise between two parties. And in this case, um, <clears throat> it's my understanding that the Indiana State Police were unwilling to budge at all. And I find that curious. 
they do have the uh, they have the uh, discretion to release the records if they choose to. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's really you know if they really wanted to release the records or any records uh, to our family, um, they would have the authority to do so. But they have steadfastly um, denied releasing any records, and um, they have basically ignored our request for uh, more information on the case. How does that leave you feeling? Well, we're disappointed for sure, but uh, the records, of course, are only one aspect of the case. Uh, we're going to continue to fight for the release of those records, but to also solve the case uh, with or without the cooperation of the police. Uh, the social media campaign that you have launched, it's, uh, it's basically called Who Killed Dan? Right, right. It gets, it gets right to the point. Uh, it does. launched a, uh, the social media campaign to really raise awareness about Anne's case and to generate, generate new leads and to ultimately solve her murder. Um, this Who Killed Anne effort is uh, currently on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and features uh, posts in Anne's voice. And that's really what makes the campaign unique is because it's told uh, from her point of view. Um, she's the one who's posting the updates that deal with uh, everything from memories of her life to the actual murder to the status of the case and the investigation. So it uh, it it highlights um, you know Anne as this character employing humor and charm and wit and it's cheeky and sarcastic and uh, and is this the woman you remember? I mean, this is you're I think you're probably a decade younger than Anne would be, but you remember her as as that um, just fun-loving person that she was. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I was, Anne was the, of my generation of siblings and cousins, Anne was the oldest and I was one of, of the youngest. And, um, you know, I, I, we were probably together a, a handful of times, um, and, but I remember her as this, um, you know, beautiful person who um, she was a, a theater major at IU and she was known for her acting ability and beautiful singing voice. And uh, she really left a legacy of uh, a beautiful life and unlimited potential. She was definitely going somewhere. Um, she had a, a real sparkle to her. And, um, you know, I know that um, she was talented and beautiful and smart, uh, but it was really her uh, kindness and generosity uh, were the qualities that uh, really drew people to her. And she never took herself too seriously. She was a goofball in a lot of ways, and uh, but at the same time, always had time for you, uh, no matter who you were. It comes through in the posts that you put um, on the social media sites, I think. Um, how do you, do you just sit down and think, okay, here I am, I'm going to post some photos and say something that Anne would say. And then there it is. Right. I think, you know, the ultimate goal is to really uh, solve the crime. And one of the things that I really wanted to do from the outset was not to, to um, uh, create a, a, I like to call it boo-hoo campaign is where you know, a lot of uh, memories of an individual and a, a lot of people, um, you know, provide, you know, tributes and talk about her in the past. Um, there are a lot of efforts like that out there that face that focus on cold cases and memorials and tributes to murder victims. 
but there was really nothing like this. And we wanted to do something different and uh, we wanted to do something that would, would set it apart. And, uh, we, you know, this way we keep Anne's memory and spirit alive, but re really the ultimate goal is to find her killer um, and to ensure that she's not just remembered as a murderer victim, but um, an incredible person. I think that that does come across. I mean, the the messages do bring her alive in a way and remind people of, of the person that, that she was and, and would have been. What what got you started on this um, search for her killer? I mean, you're probably 50 years old or maybe older, and here you are in your life. What what just made you decide to do this now? Right. Thank you for not uh, revealing my age, but the... Uh, I was so close, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what really started it was the uh, arrest of the Golden State Killer in California in 2018. That really renewed my family's interest in Anne's case. And uh, as you know, the Golden State Killer had been, been apprehended uh, through DNA evidence that investigators had collected um, in a 1978 murder, I believe. So it was around the same time of Anne's death. And uh, I decided to reach out uh, to police to uh, see if I could retrieve any records from the case and to get an update on the investigation and ask if there was any DNA evidence that had been preserved from the, the crime scene. And um, <clears throat> the Indiana State Police had told me, sure, just file a Freedom of Information Act request and we'll get you the records that you're looking for. And um, I do that. And after they encourage me to file a FOIA, uh, they deny it and don't release a single record that I requested, including whether or not uh, DNA from the crime scene exists. And you have high interest in that, and I think a lot of people do, considering the technology advances and the way that other long unsolved murders have been um, solved through the use of this kind of DNA. Right. You see it every day uh, throughout the country. There's a, there's a new crime or uh, murder that's solved uh, on the basis of uh, new technology and uh, forensic evidence coming to light in these cases that have been dormant for decades, even in... Uh, you know, in the state of Indiana, um, in uh, Fort Wayne and in Terre Haute, uh, there have been some recent uh, crimes that have been solved um, that have been cold for decades. So what happens now? You've been denied access to the records. The social media campaign goes on. Are you getting any responses or any tips or any news that is that is encouraging? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, we are, uh, especially after um, uh, your article ran in the Bloomington Herald and then was again uh, featured in the uh, Martinsville paper, uh, we've gotten a steady stream of, of leads. Of course, some more insightful and realistic than others, but um, it's something that we encourage and um, people love to talk, uh, particularly those uh, I've noticed from the Martinsville and Morgan County area who were around uh, during the time of the murder and uh, heard, of course, lots of uh, lots of uh, chatter about it, whether it's a, a memory of it um, or somebody who, who lived nearby or someone who knew uh, someone who was connected to it. Yeah, the murder of Carol Ann Jenkins in Martinsville was solved um not just a few years ago, um, with a long ago memory from someone who who was present when the woman was killed. So there are a lot of possibilities. I also have a tip I need to pass on to you that someone called me about yesterday. So 
Um, maybe we'll talk about that now. And is there anything else you'd like to say, Scott, as we sign off today? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we're still uh, we're still going to um, you know move forward with the with the uh, campaign. Um, we're getting more followers every day, and uh, like I said, we're getting uh, new leads. And I think that as this grows, it'll create you know perhaps some pressure on um, uh, authorities and elected officials to um, act uh, more responsibly when it comes to uh, solving the murder. Well, let's hope that happens. Thank you for your time today, and um, we'll see where this goes. All right. Well, thank you. Second Read is produced by the Herald Times Newsroom and recorded at The Mill. Music was composed and produced by Zachary Walter. Thanks to our sponsors, Green and Schultz, Trial Lawyers. Read more about the Ann Harmeyer case at heraldtimesonline.com.